Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey everyone, you're about to hear a very special episode, our 100th, recorded live with a studio audience last week. We had an amazing evening, I hope you do enjoy the hour or so ahead of you, as we thought we'd do something a bit different for our big anniversary. What I would say is that if you'd like to watch this week's episode in video form, you can, and I strongly encourage it. We filmed the whole thing in HD, multiple cameras, the whole shebang uh, to let you feel a little bit like uh, you were there on the evening and it's not often that i would say hey stop listening to this and listen to something else Uh, but on this occasion i think it is worth enjoying uh, the video version if you'd like to simply because we've never ever done anything like this on video before uh, with the show now you can find it super easily because it's on youtube now um, by going to live.techpodcast.uk it's really easy it'll redirect you to the youtube page where you can stream it or i've included some download links in the video's description there if you want to watch offline or keep a copy so that's live.techpodcast.uk there's a link on twitter too of course at text message pod or just go to at uh, in fact just natelangson.com slash podcast um, or in the mp3 description of this week's episode um, right now in your podcatcher if you look there so loads of ways to find it live.techpodcast.uk really hope you'll enjoy that Uh, otherwise of course feel free to continue listening as this audio version is exactly the same content uh, but without my massive grin and without ian's massive hair now on with the show Ian, yes. Shall we begin? Let's. Okay, let us. Let's do it now. You're listening to episode 100 of Text Message with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And for the first time ever, with you, our live studio audience. (laughs) It works. The microphones work. So far, it's working wonderfully. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we have an incredibly fun show lined up for you tonight. Uh, We did not want our milestone episode uh, to go uncelebrated uh, by uh, as many guests as possible uh, who could fit into a studio. um, And it is amazing that so many of you could join us this evening, including some of our beloved patrons. People so good uh, that they not only support us financially each week, but also show up to reclaim their contributions (laughs) in the form of our free beer. Um, But welcome to you all. Uh, You guys are amazing. Um, It's not that expensive getting beer down Tesco, is it, mate? No, it's not. Um, Anyway, Ian's already gone off script, so that's fine. Um, We're not alone on this big stage, um, and we are privileged uh, to be joined by some of the British tech and gaming industry's finest individuals available at short notice uh, to help carry us through the next hour of British tech nostalgia, fun, and analysis. And it will be analytical. Uh, Let's meet them. To my right, ladies and gents, uh, senior editor Wired, Vicky Turk. Hi. 
And next to Vicky is, uh, for 30 odd years, Nate's brother. Almost Andy. 30. Almost. Oh, come almost on. 30 years. Uh, and, and senior editor at CNET. And I, I know you're never going to quit CNET, but have you ever thought about quitting as being Nate's brother? It's crossed my mind, but the pay is pretty good. So. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to appear here. Oh uh, yes, um, and to my left, um, host of gaming video series Outside Extra, throw the rest away, it's Luke Westaway! <laughs> and last, but statistically most unlikely to be least, it's Katie Collins, who is a CNET correspondent as well, and a Golden Retriever enthusiast. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now we're taping uh, tonight's landmark uh, live show at Tech Hub. Big thanks to them for hosting us in this uh, great venue, venue at relatively short notice here on London's Rope Maker Street. Uh, fun fact this, everybody, uh, Rope Maker Street is in fact my second favourite street name uh, in the whole of London. Does anyone want to hazard a guess at what my favourite street name is? Not the very rude one, Andy. No. Knight Rider Street near St Paul's. No, not that one. No, uh, the, the correct answer is Poultry. Poultry is the answer. <laughs> was anyone else expecting a good fact about rope making there? <laughs> yeah, as I was. Have you got one? I don't like to string people along. That wasn't even on the script. Anyway, even on the script. We've got a great show lined up tonight, everyone. We're going to cover some current trends and a lot of nostalgic trivia from the past. And we have a fantastic special guest to bring some real local perspective into how technology is shaping British schools and communities. I uh, look forward to that in about half an hour. Um, now, we're going to start by looking back through modern history a bit uh, with what is ostensibly a quiz. Um, now, our guests will need to buzz in with their answer, but although the show does make some money each week, uh, we spent most of that this month on things uh, like beer tonight uh, to subdue the audience uh, into not noticing the cracks in our production, such as not having proper buzzers for guests. Uh, instead, our guests are encouraged to somewhat shout out. Is everybody happy? Should we begin this thing? I can yes. have my own buzzer sound if you'd like. Yeah, we're good at it. Do I have to buzz in then? Nah. No. no. <laughs> just, just two great examples. <laughs> Fingers on buzzers that don't exist, teams. It's question one. Uh, what British innovator did something interesting with balls in the 1970s? Oh, uh, Andy? No that was a uh, bad buzz. <laughs> he didn't buzz, ref. Honk. <laughs> was it James Dyson? It was James Dyson, yes. What did he do? Well, he put the ball on the hoover, but I'm not sure if it was that early, was it? Uh, no, but you're close enough. He put a ball on a wheelbarrow. Uh, in okay. 19... Has the man gone mad? In 1974, <laughs> it was called the ball barrow. Uh, it was sort of like a... <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. The ball... Does no one actually remember this? Like, this is... Um, maybe it's because I'm old. But I remember seeing this yeah, in B&Q. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've seen a ball barrow. I didn't know it was a you 1970s... In... Yeah. No. <laughs> great. You can... In what way is a ball barrow superior to a wheelbarrow? Well, if you well, tried them side by side, you'd know. I will, <laughs> I will point this out. What James Dyson thought would be great uh, about the ball barrow is that it would roll over certain surface areas with greater ease. What year was this? Uh, 1974, very long way. time ago. Your time. So can, can we reasonably say that Dyson provably failed? Because that's not what, <laughs> that's not what real wheelbarrows <laughs> look like now. Well, it's all you want from these people. <laughs> you want a failure. All I will say is that he won an award for in 1977, but I agree, it does feel like a bit of a departure from some of the Dyson inventions of today, doesn't it? Although, you're right, he did add a ball to various things, like the vacuum cleaner. He adds a lot yeah. of things. If you've ever used that wheelbarrow, you'll know that it does tip over quite easily. That's probably why it doesn't exist anymore. 
Mm. But no, it, I, I feel the same about the vacuum cleaner. I lose control. It goes all over yeah. the place. Mm. It's quite a good surname, though, isn't it? Ball Barrow. <laughs> <laughs> David Ball Barrow. Would, so nice uh, Would it be a double barrel surname? Or ball, no, it's like, like, like your Nate Ball Barrow or... Yeah, double barrel. Yeah. Oh, double nice. barrel. God, got, we've got a quality audience, haven't we? <laughs> Give them enough time and those, uh, those balls will roll right out of the EU, won't they? They will indeed. Well, yes, indeed. Um, where might balls be better used today, anybody? <laughs> Can I really say that out loud? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, no, I have a real suggestion, actually. Uh, cars. Right. Because Goodyear have a concept for a spherical tyre. Which, it sounds insane, like how do you possibly attach a, a spherical tyre to a car? And the answer is really you don't. It uses maglev, so basically your car will levitate on top of these four spherical wheels. The idea is that your car can move in all directions and it can move outwards and, really? it, and it has better traction. I, yeah, seriously, I think that genuine... sounds bizarre, though, because maglev works OK on a train because they're on a track. But what happens when you're in a car? Like, it would just go all over the don't place. Don't ask those questions. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to think about what happens when it doesn't work in your car suddenly. It would be quite uh, good for, like, motorway lane changes, though. You know? Yeah, the idea is that just, like, you can... strafe. <laughs> yeah, you ch- will change lanes without yeah. you having your car having to change the direction it's travelling in. So it can be a lot safer. And if you do... If you push your car a bit too far and it spins, then the wheels can move in any direction they need to in order to bring your car under control. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. It's a long way off happening. Wow. No, it's not in the script. No, this is, but this it doesn't is, all have to. You be asked. No, I know. <laughs> okay, well, okay. It's a good answer, Andy, but you have gone wildly off script. I'm, so. I do apologise. Yeah, we can cut that Bring out. Bring it in, Hoyle. Sorry. It's, it's fine. Um, I mean, Dyson, aside from the stuff with the ball barrow, has invented a lot of things that either suck or blow. Vacuum cleaners. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> that wasn't even the deliberate joke. That's coming in a bit. <laughs> Hair dryers, fans. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the things Dyson hasn't invented but could? I've got one example, by the way. I have four, in fact. <laughs> Sheets, but I'm going to pick the first one, which is some sort of next-generation body drying system. So imagine you've just like had a, a haystack shower. dryer thing. Uh, I am very unfamiliar with farming technology, um, but in my head, I've stepped out of a shower. I'm nude. I'm wet from the shower. This is in all our minds now. I don't know. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Go on. Oh no, wait. And I want to get out to the bathroom. Wouldn't it be great to have some sort of drying system built into the arch around the door frame? So that'd be like walking through one of the Airblade fans, really, yes. wouldn't it? Yes, except quieter. Okay. And, Would and you have to walk th- through it really slowly over a period of about 30 seconds? And step backwards, <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. yeah. I thought about as far as this Put one leg in, one leg out. Also, where does in, it blow out, the in, wet, out. The, the, the leftover water to? Is there a drainage system? You know, you've got to think this through. It's, a, it's an architectural question, There's really. There's a hand in the audience. <laughs> What? What? <laughs> that's what? That's what a haystack dryer is. None Go of ahead, us are going on good enough holidays. Centre parks. Goodness gracious me! Well, thanks for ruining that whole segment. No. <laughs> I've, I've used that one at centre parks, and it is like being breathed on by lots of giants. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> my dream. <laughs> oh, I was thinking if you could apply the same tech to uh, car washers, because I don't like car washers as they are now, like the automated ones, because you go in and those big brushes come down and they slap your windscreen. It makes you kind of look like you're driving through a, a crowd of pigeons or something, and then <laughs> everything's dying around you. So if you could go through a thing where it's just a, a blast of air, 
A clean blast. But the whole stage, it would only be that. You don't have the awful brush. The conclusion here is that Dyson, there's, there's nothing he hasn't invented. No, that's right. He's invented all things. I, I disagree. See, I think, you know, if you think of the power of those hand dryers, I'm thinking this could be the jetpack. Ah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to returning to that on episode 900 uh, when, <laughs> when jetpacks make it to consumer availability. Um, no, this is, of course, the fond memory uh, that we have for the innovation spawned by British creator and surprising Brexit supporter Sir James Dyson. Uh, the mind boggles as to what innovation could be up his sleeve next that combines both balls and suction, but for the sake of decency, we'll assume it's something to do with robots or cars. Um, question two, fingers on virtual button, uh, buzzers here. Uh, let's move into the UK. UK gaming history, Teams, a series of fantasy video games developed by British Video Game Studio, or a video game studio, allowed the player to win the affection of the in-game public by demonstrating a number of bizarre skills, including whistling and making flatulent sounds. To whom and to what do we owe this innovation? Luke's poised. Oh, you got there first. Siri has gone off on my desk. Carry on, Luke. That was me, sorry. Yes. This sounds like... Uh, Peter Molyneux Yes Of Lionhead fame Yes Who is very much A, a kind of James Dyson analogue I, I think And not just because They both have tasteful grey hair Can you remember <laughs> The name of the game series? Uh, Fable Yes The Fab- Fable series It yeah. was indeed yeah. Since you seem to be An expert on the topic And indeed that's why I asked you here um, Can you remember <laughs> Any of the other skills You could deploy In the Fable games? Uh, yeah you could get A dog to dig up Things for you. You could. Uh, you, oh, you could. Um, you could be a uh, a landlord. You could either be a good or an evil landlord. I think that was nice. Fable Three. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh-huh. It, what wonderful escapism games can bring. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to come to some weird simulator games that includes the title Crane Simulator. Uh, on the back of the box, feel the thrill of the night shift. <laughs> <laughs> We'll come to that back in a bit, ladies and gents. Um, yes, uh, the, the other things I have on my list here um, are loot playing, belching, victory arm pumps, and gift giving. That is a skill. Uh, and saving the world, of course. Quite the smorgasbord of options. Uh, certainly, I don't think my fiance Kate, uh, would have agreed to marry me were, were it not for my loot playing skills. Is that right? <laughs> she says, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so we have a lot to thank Molino for. Uh, can we think about what else? Peter Molyneux is responsible for. He's done a lot in his storied history. He's, he did the uh, cube thing. The, the cube. cube. The cube That's thing. What I, I, I remember playing it because it was the I, I, I'm trying to remember it. The idea was there was this giant cube and you could tap on your phone to get rid of some of the cubes and whoever got rid of the last cube got some special prize but no one knew what it was and then it turned out that they got to be god yes bitter disappointment is the other name <laughs> i was considering playing it and i'm so glad because i would have been so disappointed if i'd spent my time doing that really oh absolutely did, did they ever release the game yeah yeah the, yeah. G- the game where you were god uh, yeah wasn't it goddess goddess yeah and which is awful no 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 there was god and then there was uh, curiosity Something to do with the cube. Okay. Curiosity was Curi- the one with the cube. Yeah, but yeah goddess, Curiosity the, was the cube. Yeah, yeah, Curiosity was the cube, and then Goddess was the game where you were the god in, and it's a terrible game. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what's a really good game that Peter Molyneux developed? 1994? Uh, Begins with Theme, theme Hospital. No, before Theme, theme Hospital. Park. Theme Park. Yes. I had this on PlayStation before. Oh, I had all ah. the iterations of this on every single console or in uh, every version you could possibly imagine. There is a real quirk with that game on PlayStation is that you could only load your previous save if you started the game with the save name on the registration screen 
Which well, I hang on, did. that was nerdy. Let's forget I said that. <laughs> uh, but yes, theme park was amazing. Um, we have some fun memories. Theme park, I mean, that was the one that a lot of people got into. That's a few years later. I don't think he developed it. I think he sort of came up with the concept for theme park. He didn't come up with the concept of theme parks. <laughs> no. as, a, as a whole Industrializing yeah. the also, creation within a virtual world. Was however. it actually after Roller Coaster Tycoon or was it before? I think, t- I think Tycoon was afterwards. Right. Can we give a shout out though to Roller Coaster Tycoon? Yeah. 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 An- another great game. Weakest shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Not as many Tycoon fans in as I But Molyneux was responsible for Theme Hospital as well, though. He right? was responsible for the concept, yes. And indeed, I think probably some of the diseases uh, that one could, con- well, one could cure in Theme Hospital. My favourite was the uh, bloaty head syndrome. Yeah. Any others? Slack jaw. Yes. No, well, slack tongue. No, it was slack tongue. You had to go to the slack tongue clinic and they'd roll it out in the in the yes. mangle and how do you explain how do you explain to the doctor that you have slack tongue? <laughs> oh, break <laughs> that Terrible. <laughs> Text. Well, surely it'll be obvious. Ruining my life. Text. I think for for all fans of toilet humour like me, I think the squits was definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, there was also corrugated ankles, um, heaped piles, gut rot. I mean, a, a real joy of gaming. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Uh, makes me think, though, what other theme game could be created? Um, theme podcast. Theme game. <laughs> and that's what you're all playing tonight. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Trapped in a simulation <laughs> of your creation. Well, it's going quite well so far, so clearly it's we're, very pleasant. we're getting was, to level two. There was a very popular uh, mobile game called Game Dev Story. I don't know if anyone played that, but uh, yeah, some hands in the crowd. <laughs> but, that was, um, but that was basically theme content creation, wasn't wow. it? In the, it was a simulator where you set up a little indie game studio and made a game and it flopped and everyone was fired. And, well, they were in mine. That sounds like <laughs> a really depressing outlook of the modern gaming industries. Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't sugarcoat it. <laughs> Real hard realism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what happens if your company creates a really good game, then who owns the rights to that game? Is it you, the in-game creator, or the creators of the game? I imagine the creators of the game. I, they probably that set up... genius They probably scam. set up the app to harvest IP. Right. <laughs> Sweet IP. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, I mean, I've always, always found that some of the greatest examples come from the simulator series of games. We did mention, of course, um, uh, Crane. Crane Simulator earlier. Uh, there's another really fantastic one uh, called Street Cleaning Simulator. Uh, this isn't a joke. I've seen uh, a friend of mine uh, play this for several hours. Um, it's incredibly tedious, uh, is all I will say, um, but mindlessly compelling. There's a guy on YouTube that streams Euro Truck Simulator. I played that the other hours. day for about three hours. Oh my goodness. Yeah. If you I was, I was... in VR. So good in VR. In VR? Uh, it's a VR. Okay. Because <laughs> you look down, I just want to look at some nice landscapes. And you can start nice. in Manchester. So I started in a truck yard in Manchester, and I don't remember where I drove it to. I think I put in, I eventually want to go to Paris or somewhere, but that is a hell of a long drive in a big truck. Are you mostly just <laughs> in the tunnel time. on the yeah, on the ferry? You're just, you're just on the, just on the, just on the motorway. Oh. Like, I don't want to play this anymore. I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's boring system. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, there are some great boat simulator, yeah, city bus simulator. That's a goat great one. Goat simulator as well. Yeah, yeah. Not from the same series, but yes, very good. In the same Bonding. category as Octodad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Octodad is excellent. I was playing that the other night with Kate. Yeah, a real, real-life simulator, isn't mm-hmm. it, where you see oh, an octopus d- pretending d- to be did a someone, father. Yeah. Did someone mention Job Simulator, the VR thing <gasps> from the creators of Rick and Morty? That is spectacular fun. Mm. It, it's the best thing I've played in VR it's quite It's very possibly. silly. It's very, very Better stupid. Better than the wall-climbing thing. Mm, 
Yes. Oh. Well, that's good. Uh, none of those were, had Peter Molyneux's name next to them, uh, oh. but that was indeed very interesting. Uh, generally speaking, this was, of course, an excuse for us to poke our noses into the products from British gaming kingpin Peter Molyneux and his eccentric twists on blending real-world experiences into his studio's virtual realities. I, as a point of reference, uh, was once able to spend a wonderful evening having my pet dog dig up prophylactics, which Luke referenced, I think, earlier, and then convincing someone else's wife to accompany me to my temporary trailer for a bit of romance after impressing her by whistling and showing off a severed head I'd been carrying around. Uh, thanks to Molyneux, I was also once able to do this in Fable 2. Um, <laughs> now, moving on to round three. Fingers again on the non-existent buzzers. I'm very impressed with how you're dealing with the lack of uh, forward planning on the buzzing part. Um, this is better known as things I didn't know ten days ago. Uh, we take touchpads in our laptops somewhat for granted, but can anyone tell me where one of the first ever touchpads little finger pointer things um, where the first one to be embedded in a portable computer was found this is back in 1989 my goodness what a long time ago that was was it British? <laughs> it's all British it's the point of the podcast <laughs> oh that's the point of the podcast here I thought it was just a vanity project you should know the uh, <laughs> The, well, sort, the sort of thing that only a brother could Ooh, say to a brother. Oh, yes. Do you remember when I asked you to be my best man later this year? Um, <laughs> Office still stands? We'll see. Uh, was it Scion? I don't know what model, but oh, I think it was a Scion. It was a Scion. Of course it's Scion, because Nate is obsessed with he Scion. Is obsessed with a Scion. Explain why. Uh, in how many way? In how many? How many options? Br- briefly, briefly, <laughs> briefly. Real brief. Why am I impressed with that? Well, firstly, they were ahead of their time. They invented, basically, they popularised the palm top computer concept. Uh, which is what we take for granted. We pop this in our hands. It had an in- innovative folding hinge system, ergonomic keyboard. You could connect it to a dial-up modem and do business things across the internet. This was in the <laughs> night. I had Scrabble. Little Head has a question. We'll come to that in a moment. It had Scrabble. You could put it in the side of yeah, play. Yeah, that's the, the thing I was the... going to point out. You, you traded, I think, half your drum set when you were 13 to buy Scrabble for your Scion 3MX from Dixon's, which you played... Constantly until you got a score over 300. Sounds like a wise investment to me. Give me a two letter word I can't tell you the meaning of. Uh, Don't do it because it's not on the script. I was going to say Series 7, which was the answer to the question. But also, auto review. Auto review on the Series 3 before you even had GPS. What? This is groundbreaking, unscripted information. (laughs) You've made us all look like fools, Will. (laughs) But this, I mean, the the reason for the obsession is because Cyan was so deeply innovated in the 90s. This, the touchpad thing, that was 1989. The product name that I was hoping we'd get is the MC400. How could you not remember that? (laughs) Sounds like a robot DJ. We have a Patreon hand. And battery life. Oh, long battery life. Those things lasted for ages. My 3MX took two AA batteries and lasted for quite a long time, more than the Game Gear at the same period did. Thanks, Sega. Um, no, the um, MC400 Sick ran... burn to Sega. <laughs> Are we just airing grievances? Not real from that one. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, the Cyan MC400 it ran a multitasking operating system with a graphical user interface called Epoch. Uh, E-P-O-C. Uh, it was around for a very long time. In my opinion, it really was one of the finest uses for a dot matrix display, uh, aside from teletext and train timetable boards. Uh, it's a close race, though. Nate <laughs> <laughs> was a dynamic and interesting 13-year-old, you can tell. Can't <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Such good times growing up. Now, just to advance on this topic a little bit, can anyone tell me where the Epoch system ended up, or at least bits of it? Will Head knows all the answers, so we're not going to him again. I'll give you a... Ooh, close. I'll give you a clue. 
Something with Nokia. Yes, it went into Nokia phones. <laughs> Great. There you go then. Um, the, uh, the Scion Software Group, the, the, the group that made this stuff, rebranded as Symbian. Uh, and so the Symbian operating systems made popular by Nokia and friends in the 1990s uh, were a direct descendant of Britain's, Britain's Scion software. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. It is amazing. amazing. Where are they today? Well, question well asked. What other memorable inventions have British innovators come up with over the years? Please, mm. panel. Uh, oh, I've got one. Um, the uh, wind-up radio. It was oh. created by Trevor Bayliss in the uh, 1990s. He was. Do you know what he appeared on that I didn't know? <laughs> I did. I do know because Ian sent me a hilarious video earlier today. We should tell the audience. <laughs> he appeared on... The Big Breakfast. And you can all go and watch the video. I'm sure Ian will send yeah, you the link yeah, if gladly. you want to see it. <laughs> yeah, he, um, it was quite funny. I mean, he actually once said he made very little money from this invention, the wind-up radio in the 90s. He lives on an island with a very funny name. It's called Eel Pie Island. I didn't know that was a real place. I thought it was a joke, but it is real. Um, but yeah, he was a presenter, sort of, on Channel 4's Big Breakfast. Um, he would talk about, on, talk about gadgets and things in a, in a shed. In the video in question, he's wearing a, an orange leotard of some kind. Um, and then Johnny Horn hits things without... A it was the bat. 90s. It was the 90s. We were all in leotards of some Have you ever thought stripe? about bringing that back, Luke? You're a presenter and a host these days on video. I'd, I'd love to see you in a leotard. I think I'm enough of a thought leader to bring back the leotard. I think you should give it a go. Definitely. Mm-hmm. If I do nothing else with All my in favour, I. <laughs> well, yeah. surprise, everyone. <laughs> well, These are all stage clothes. They all tear away. <laughs> Anybody else got a famous British innovator? I can only think of the Sinclair C5. Oh, the little car thing. That's a very, very demeaning way of putting it. <laughs> That's coming back. Oh, no, one of uh, Sinclair's relatives has come up with a, yes, he is. a concept. I think it was his nephew. Yes. I saw it on the BBC. The concept's be... already there. It was perfect yeah, to begin with. The little electric thing. Right? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Right? Just and the right batteries have come on a long way. You could do it credibly now, I reckon. It'd be awesome. Yeah. So but we've got small, tiny, crappy electric cars that are basically the Sinclair C5 now, haven't we? My kid the has Renault got a, Twizy is basically well, the, a yeah, but that's a bit of fun. But the little electric Tesla that he's got is really good, and if you, you it wouldn't wait, really, wait, 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 you know what's wait, better? Wait, it's wait, powerful wait. enough to drive an adult, I'm sure. Little bit of an interruption here. Yeah. His little he's Tesla. Got a little, t- little Tesla, a, a lithium-ion powered. You know, it's even cooler yeah. than the kid's Radio little Tesla. The full-size adult Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> yes, really a, nice it's car. Li- it's a little bit. He does crash this one quite a lot. I wouldn't trust him with a, a full-size. He's a three and a half. Yeah, it's this big. Wow. Does he ever let you have a go in it? No. No. Incredible. I'd crack that. That's incredible. I mean, other answers that we could have had, obviously the web, uh, Tim Berners-Lee in the 80s. I I remember he once said that putting the double slash in HTTP colon slash slash was a mistake. He thought it made URLs needlessly long. And I did want to say, I don't think removing one slash was going to make a difference. Well, two slashes. Well, yes. I mean, that's a 50% reduction, but it's still not going to change the... I think we can all agree it goes Sinclair C5... Internet <laughs> and then some other things. Ball barrow, the, the ball barrow, the rest of human endeavour. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There was yeah. also the thermos, uh, British invention in 1892. Automatic kettles, thanks to Peter Hobbs in. Uh, in Automatic the in the sense. Well, electric, like you know, you you don't. Oh, they tick off when they boil. Uh, they don't do the whole. They don't. Did water. they used to just get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter until your house caught fire? <laughs> well, they used to boil all the water away. Really? Yeah. Well, if you put one on a hob, that's what happens, mm. isn't it? He, that's he how called the first one the boil bag. That's great. I actually just put water in a, in a toaster. They Not should put a ball on, on a kettle. 
<laughs> so that when it boils, it rolls off the side. <laughs> there was also uh, cement, the lawnmower, the lava lamp. Didn't know that. Linoleum, not the no effects song, but the uh, stuff. Uh, the toothbrush and hip replacement. Um, so it could have had those as options. But chose not to. That's fine. Yes. Anyway, this is the uh, this is what's wonderful. Uh, what is indeed wonderful about diving into uh, the history of British technological innovation is that you realise that predominantly we're exceptionally good at producing everything necessary for the over sixties to have a comfortable life: warm tea, uh, the wireless, hip replacements. Uh, today we rely a little more on our, on our American cousins to produce everything we need to get us through happily to pensionable age. All the while looking forward to embracing the best of British through our retirement. It sounds like we're very good at creating. Incredible innovations that the Americans then run over the finish line in an extremely <clears throat> profitable way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All the while replacing hips. Uh, anyway, that is, uh, I think, two points to Andy and Vicky. Great. And Wait, there are, there are points? <laughs> well, they're off of this bit. I mean, there's, there's literally nothing to take away. It's yeah, okay, Luke. We can, we can bring it back. Yes, we will. Uh, but we will, we will return we to losing? A, bit more, a little bit more <laughs> silliness later in the show. Um, but it's time to do at least one thing that we normally include on the show each week and discuss a pressing issue uh, that's happening now and not in 1990. Um, in, t- in terms of local video and entertainment in the UK, what have we got? We've got Sky's Now TV. Uh, we've got subscription apps for ITV's back catalogue of programmes, the same for Channel 4. Uh, we've got the BFI Player for movies, maybe. Um, and of course, the BBC iPlayer is a no-brainer. And on top of that, we've got our American offerings like Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, and they've got, in the US at least, Hulu as well. And Hulu has said, I think, they'd like to bring the service across the pond at some point. They're all commissioning their own exclusive programming. It's a lot of services to consider subscribing to, made more stressful by the fact that they keep their exclusives to themselves. Yes, and I want to watch things on Netflix like Kimmy Schmidt, but I also want to watch things on uh, Amazon like The Grand Tour. And uh, so it's, it's getting quite fatiguing now. I, you know, I, I feel like I can't subscribe to all these services and have money left at the end of the month for beer. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and it's starting to feel like a subscription to all these things is as expensive as a Sky or Virgin package. It is. And the question is, of course, do we want this as our future uh, for entertainment? Do we, as Brits perhaps, just thinking on our little island here, believe that it's better to have a wide selection of individual services we need to subscribe to versus relying on our local incumbents like Sky, Virgin and the BBC, who are increasingly threatened by the new kids on the block? I'm curious. Let's turn to Katie. How do you consume TV? I've, uh, I've seen Katie consume TV. Just... Starts at the edges, <laughs> nibble here, takes down the whole screen, <laughs> sucks down an HDMI cable like spaghetti. I just, sorry. Well, well, thank you, you for uh, ruining my private habits, um, <laughs> telling them to everyone. And no, I'm, I think I'm fully a product of my generation in that... Um, Blame society. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just the first point. But the second point is that I, will, um, I subscribe to multiple different services. I subscribe to Netflix. I, I subscribe to Amazon and to Now TV. Mm. Um, and the way that I look at it is that um, I pay... I guess between fifteen and twenty pounds a month for all of these different services. So still a little bit is, less than a standard subscription to something. Isn't yeah, it? it definitely is. And I've been I've subscribed to Virgin and Sky before when I've been you know living in house shares and um, you know as we millennials are destined to do forevermore. Um, but <laughs> but um, I, I genuinely think you know I, I, it's about the price of a cinema ticket in London, and that's that's one film um, a month. 
In um, London, it, in London, it certainly could be. Yeah. A, a, a cinema ticket is twenty-five quid. No, it's about it's between fifteen wow. and twenty quid. What? If you're going to see a cutting-edge film yeah. like, um, and it does depend. Like if you see it in yeah. premium special sixty-five mil, then it gets it gets expensive. And That's also, about right. I think fifteen yeah. to twenty yeah. quid. So it was, I, mean, I remember it was like six quid. Especially if you factor in a smack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, do you know the average? mounts up. I actually looked this up. Do you know the price of the average cinema ticket in the UK is right go, now? Go on. I surprise you. Ten pounds. No, seven pound forty. Oh, it's even better. Well, seven pounds forty is the average price, apparently. But yeah, but it's places like the North. That, you know, it's cheaper. <laughs> Bring the average down. Also, you it can still be. you can Careful still go to the cinema. Careful what you say about North, mate. Well, yeah, exactly. You're from the North. Is it cheaper to go you to the cinema? You can still go to the pet cinema was, in Peckham remember, yeah. for um for a flight. <laughs> 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 yes, it is a it is a lot cheaper. Told we have, you. We have, a, we have the answer. So let's, let's just, before, we're going to talk a little bit about cinema, actually, in, in a bit. And this is really good that that came up. I'm just curious about whether this multitude of subscriptions that we now have to consider having, like, is this actually right? You know, we have so much access. I mean, we could even factor in things like YouTube into this. Snapchat wants to create original programming. They're all sort of ad-supported packages, but it's actually an enormous amount that we have to consider as opposed to what we're used to, which is pay for Virgin, Pick, do you want some movies? Do you want some sport? That's it. It's simple. You well, know, sorry. sorry no, I was just going to say the, so the, the real, um, the, the thing that has persuaded me that it's a good idea is having um, one box that I can put in my living room that I can get all of these things through at once. And it's, it's almost the, um, the, the medium through which it's all delivered to me and I can just switch between the things that, that makes it really appealing to You're me. You're essentially paying for convenience. Really. Yes. I've seen your house though. You don't have one box. You've got Apple TV, you've got Roku, you've got uh, a Fire Stick and you've got uh, an Xbox One. If it was up to me though, I would only use Roku. Yeah, but you can't because you've got different services and different things. No, I can't because I've got a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting because some of these devices do also require the investment in individual pieces of technology. You know, whether that you don't need to buy an Apple TV to consume stuff through Apple's platforms, and if they start getting into more of this, then that will only get more significant. But you still have to have something Apple. You still have to have something from Sky, perhaps. You still have to have the Now TV. Like it's a lot. And I just I wonder how sustainable that is. Do you I, want it? I don't mind it. If you compare this situation where you're paying for a bunch of different subscriptions, and I pay for uh, Netflix and Amazon and uh, uh, Now TV. And that's a lot of things, different things to, to pay for. But if you compare that to how the TV industry was like 10 years ago, where you basically just got what you were given, <laughs> yeah. I think that you know, the reason it's, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, we have to pay for more things. And it's a bit of a hassle having to swap between boxes. But that's what you get is loads more competition. I think as well, like good. the original content is a real seller for me. I was never really tempted by Sky because I just felt like you're paying for a bunch of rubbish that you don't actually want and maybe mm. a couple of channels that you do want. But the quality of some of the series that are coming out from Netflix, for example, and Amazon as well, yeah. they're well, just so great. They, they're, yeah. they genuinely rival you know, the, the incumbents. They do, and it, and it means that you have to consider a, a subscription. And this is one of the real sea changes that we're seeing, is that in the past you could have your subscription and you'd buy things on, you know, I mean, we DVDs or VHS or whatever, but a lot of these are sort of exclusively tied to streaming platforms and they're exclusively tied to monthly subscription packages. So you can't just, you can't download, as far as I'm aware, the Grand Tour from Amazon without having an Amazon Prime yeah. subscription. And that's what the problem, because you do need to be able to, I think, having a, a package in Netflix or in, in all the services where you can just get the episodes that you want, 
you know, you could just subscribe to that show. So if you want to subscribe to Netflix and get Better Call Saul, one of their exclusives, then you can just subscribe to that show and that's what you'll get if you don't want to have the rest of it. And it'll be maybe a pound an episode or £1.50 or something. But we used but to have that. that's how it used to exactly. be. Yeah, and that, I found that so annoying. Yeah, that going rubbish. on iTunes. I don't know. I feel expensive. The, yeah. I think the much um, more for yeah. example, and I think the current services are just priced just perfectly so it feels like you're not actually spending that much you know it's, it's less than a well, week's worth of Spotify. coffees so immediately like you just think well I'm, I'm paying £10 a month for music I'm paying less for Netflix that therefore it must be a good mm. deal so even if you're only watching one series you've got that full series and it costs a lot less than a box set used to yeah Show of hands for the audience, I'm really curious here. How many people still have a subscription to either, say, Sky or Virgin in the sense of you're paying for a package of TV? That is way under half. About... That is about <laughs> oh, kids, someone says. And you cannot survive sports, without Disney oh, Channel. Sports. And sports, yeah, sports, sports is, a good point. is another sports. one. Don't underestimate what you're getting back in the time by not having the adverts. The, yeah. the, the Virgin yeah. and the Sky option is... You pay for the subscription and you pay to watch your adverts. This is true. I feel that although they are getting better, they have cut out. If you watch a Sky series on Sky On Demand, they do cut the ads so you don't get quite such a. They show uh, a house ad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, I do feel that's better though, than, you know, like one advert or whatever. The problem is, though, is that the time you've saved in not watching the adverts, you then waste on browsing through Netflix's whole catalogue trying to find something you want to watch. <laughs> like, an- I will spend longer than I would watch a movie for trying to find a movie and then eventually realise, oh, actually, it's midnight and I'm just going to go to bed. I think it's quite interesting <laughs> the model they went for, though, because you were talking about quality. They could have gone down that mass-market TV network approach where they have 22 episodes of largely junk, but they've, what they've done instead is gone from that more kind of half-British model of 12 episodes mm. of quite high. It's the BBC stuff. model, and I think yeah. we should we should say BBC iPlayer also great yeah. and yeah. free. Yes, yeah. yeah. you go on holiday. Now, when I, when, I, when I went into writing this section, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is whether this had an effect on cinema, because we've never had. This was my premise. We've never had TVs so large that have been so relatively affordable, and so my expectation was that we would have seen something of a decline in cinema attendance as we have progressively moved to consuming, consuming so much more in our homes. What I found so fascinating is that the research showed me I was completely wrong. And actually, cinema attendance still remains basically unchanged, give or take a few you know, million attendances per year, since about 2000. And I found two interesting statistics about British cinema before we end this segment. And he's going to tell us them whether he wants us to, whether we want them to or not. I am, <laughs> yes. Each more interesting than the last. <laughs> because that's my job. Um, in Britain, in 1946, it's a very long time ago, does anybody know the number, or can anyone guess close enough, um, the total UK cinema admissions for that year? Do you want Nin- the number you've got? On the script, or no, do you want a jokey, or do you want a joke number that I'm going to make up? Eleven. Eleven. <laughs> I'll tell you the answer because this blew my mind. Genuinely, I saw this number and I was like, "How? How is that possible?" It's 1.6 billion people what? or individual tickets in 1946 wow. were sold for cinemas for cinema admissions in in that year. Nothing Just else to do in Britain. Yeah. Before, Wars over. Before everyone had TV. Absolutely amazing. And they stayed in, and they stayed at not quite that peak, but close to it for a long time. But in 1984, this was a fantastic year. What a year this was. 
I was hoping Andy would chime in, but it doesn't matter. Oh, it was when you were born. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's irrelevant. Um, but yeah. if, do you know um, what the, uh, the admission figure that year was? I do, because it's written down here. 11? If I had to guess, I'd say probably somewhere in the area of 54 million or so. I yeah. <laughs> 54 million. So it went from... That is exactly right. Yes, it is indeed. You're not getting a point for that, because that's called cheating. Uh, 1946, it was 1.64 billion admissions in a year. And in 1984, in the same country, 54 million. That can't have been the highest number, though, in the, in the 40s, though, was it? Uh, that was the highest when, number in the 40s, yeah. Really? Yep. When did Men in Black come out? That was surely the highest. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was pretty low. It's pretty low. I mean, today... The so that, that has to have been when everyone went to the cinema many times. Men in Black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last year, that the number... world's greatest film. No, it's Jurassic Park. I heard. I heard no, you're, no, it's not. It's clearly it, wrong. It, but uh, it's it's possible that that, and, and I'm not saying Andy because I know it upsets you and you might start <clears> throwing things. Yeah. Men in Black. It, I'm not saying it's not the greatest film. That's ever. good. I'm glad I'm, you're I'm not just, saying I'm, that. I'm, I'm only saying that it might be that critics at the time didn't realise <laughs> how amazing. how momentous, and they might not realise for maybe another fifty years yeah, or, or, so. or ever. But you shouldn't let that bother you. As long as we realise it now, that is fine. That is okay. Because I wanted to point out one last number, which is the number for last year, 168 million. And that underscores the point, is that cinema has grown. It is staying really stable. Despite all of this innovation that's going on in our homes, with massive TVs and an un paralleled access uh, as far as history is concerned to blockbuster titles uh, readily available at the touch of a button. I'm not, I'm not surprised by that at all because there, there's, there's a couple of sides to this. Like the tech in our living room has is, is never been better for watching movies. That's definitely true. But those movies aren't there to be seen. It's, it's all like studio control over, over movie release dates. Years ago we were talking about, oh, eventually we'll get to a point where something comes out in the cinema and the same day will be available in your home. And that just hasn't happened. No. Uh, you know, and that that's the reason I think why cinema attendance is so high, as well as the fact that generally I think we'd agree that now, like the last sort of five years or so, have been a really good time mm. for TV and movies. Like there are so many good ones, it's pretty. Really it's great. almost like they're good separately, and you have you feel like a movie would be better appreciated in the cinema. I do, and yeah. there's so much good stuff at home on TV. You don't need to watch films, maybe. Quite exactly, so much. they are so separate in my mind. Yeah. I don't watch very many movies at home. But cinemas I, are awful places to be. Well, that is a conversation for another day. We'll leave, <laughs> we'll leave that hanging there. And personally, I think it would be better if we could just get rid of the artificial geographical restrictions, such as our current inability to legally stream The Handmaid's Tale in the UK simply because of the soil we sit on. Um, not for any financial or practical reason, but because of backwards-facing licensing deals that hold the industry back. But hopefully, at least, over the next few years, we can see a little bit of a change there. Now, we are going to move into another segment, uh, an interview. This is going to be a real treat for everybody, I think. We do have to ask our wonderful panel here uh, to just depart the stage for a few minutes, if they, oh, fine. If they don't mind. Interludal music. Yes. Interludal music. <laughs> 
Oh, right. Uh, right, okay, thanks, Nate. Uh, one of the things that struck me about having a child uh, is, who's coming out for seven is the way she's using Minecraft uh, to build things. She's taken to it like a duck takes to water. So I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that kids are good with that sort of thing. I remember how, when I was a kid how I used to like building things in the computer, you know, doing little bits of coding. Um, and we're starting to see Microsoft is encouraging it with its educational package for Microsoft. Minecraft, um, and you know, there's a lot of amazing stuff. So, with that in mind, we have a special guest. We do because it is such a great topic. So, we want to spend a few minutes looking at how global efforts are benefiting local causes outside of this metropolitan London and other large cities. Specifically, how Minecraft is benefiting schools in Wales. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome to the show a very special guest uh, here for the evening from Ferndale, South Wales. You're going to love him, <laughs> assistant head teacher of Darren Park Primary School, James Prothers. Um, so now, as uh, assistant head teacher, uh, an important part of, of your role, I believe, uh, involves leading literacy and digital learning at Darren Park Primary School. Um, you've led a number of collaborative projects using Minecraft Education Edition and worked with teachers from across Wales to support the implementation of Welsh government's, uh, the Welsh Government's Digital Competence Framework. So I'm really curious, we can just jump right into the deep end. Can you describe some of the Minecraft projects that you and the kids have been working on and sort of how they work? Maybe we can start with that great mine project you told me about. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I suppose it all started, our Minecraft journey all started with a, a project that was very, very sort of personal to the locality of the school. Um, the, so our school is in the Rhondda Valley, which uh, was very famous for its coal industry, um, you know, around 100 years ago. So what we did was we developed uh, a scheme, really, a project where we worked with 16 schools from across the valley to um, create the Rhondda Heritage Park, which was a local mining museum um, that was dedicated to the history of coal society. Um, and as I say, Minecraft part of it, where we all developed a working coal mine, was really important. But probably more important was that w- w- than that. Sorry, was the actual understanding of what it was like to live in Ferndale in the Rhondda during that time. So it was, it was, it was part of like a term sort of course, and, and the kids were making a working mine within Minecraft as part of their education. That's right, yeah. So they visited the Rhondda Heritage Park. They did, in terms of the historical inquiry that they would normally, uh, the skills they would normally develop within a history project. But with this project, we very firmly based it around the collaboration between the different schools within the valley um, and actually got each school to focus on a specific area of the coalface, whether it was above ground or below ground. And what was brilliant about it actually was um, within the valley, uh, the Rhondda Heritage Park, which is a museum dedicated to the history of mining, is central to everyone. So it's something we all walk past, something we all travel past. So it was a really good sort of leveler in in that sort of sense. And, and the schools were collaborating together to, to produce this. Yeah, they created each created a different part. We held a big sharing event where they actually discussed each part. And and I think for me, still what gets me today is when I show them the recording of what they've what they developed. The fact they can talk so you know so richly about the, ex- the experiences that they, they had during the project, but also about the history that they learned 
during that time and as well. Do you think it really helps kids get a, gri- a handle on what you know the heritage of the area and how they you know what what it would have been like to live in that time and do that job? Definitely, and I, I think what the pupils did at the at the well, I suppose at the end after they built it, they created a, a multimedia presentation where they actually voiced over the different bits, and I was I was astonished how much they actually remembered to the topic because there's there's always at the end of a topic you think well what have they learned and I think from this the video that they produced actually shows what they've learned and you know and actually to say talking to them today about what they've learned they you know, it illustrates that. And it's interesting because you sort of you instinctively think that maybe this is something for much older kids, but we're talking primary school age, right? Like yep. Five to 11 years old. Yeah, definitely. We, we use Minecraft from, well, our year one um, pupils to our year six pupils, so, so sort of from around five to 11. But it's always within the context of a rich learning experience. Um, you know, it really accompanies uh, good teaching and learning and transforms a theme or, or an activity. And, and you know the children are using Minecraft anyway, so to get to that level as a hook is is amazing, really. Yeah. And tell me about the Roll Doll project that you did. That's uh, I saw that on, on one of your I think your blog possibly before today. Um, oh, great! I, I, yeah, I'm glad you you saw that. I, that that was so. This time last year, schools from particularly from Wales were celebrating Roll Doll's uh, 100th birthday, uh, and I thought, well, what would be really cool I suppose was for them to create um, the world of Roldal but then obviously the context still had to be the learning and what they'd get out of it so I thought well what about trying to fuse developing literacy skills within a Minecraft context so we developed a three-week literacy unit where pupils developed focusing on the settings the really rich settings from Roald Dahl's books Um, and I thought okay we'll do this as a school and we'll put that out there to see how many other schools want to join us so 92 schools from across the world ended up um, taking part in the project Uh, we looked at so if I talk personally from my classroom we looked at the text like we normally would um, and I said at the end of the lesson okay so I want you to show me your understanding of the text through building that setting during Minecraft which took them very little time you know at all as a teacher I really quickly understood I don't have to teach them how to build in Minecraft they'd look at me as if I was <laughs> stupid I think if if I did try and do that um, so we did that and then we th- I thought well you know we can't leave it there because the reading skills are really important but how are they going to develop into their writing skills so we looked at using Roald Dahl um, themed narratives where they developed their own settings, um, created those during, uh, within uh, Minecraft Education Edition. So, for example, James and the Giant Peach, a really famous text. One of the children decided that she would create a text about a girl who created uh, a picture, and every time she used a paintbrush, it got larger. So she created this in Minecraft, and I will say that particular pupil, that was the best narrative that she she wrote and and as well as their their writing skills the fact they can talk about and explain walk through their worlds their oracy skills have really developed as as well amazing did did you find that with with their what they were interpreting from the text was very similar to each other or did they all take away something completely different imagination wise initially i thought i thought it is going to be very similar but actually 
within when they were recreating the text yes but when i said to them okay now you're going to use this to create your own stories it amazed me you know mm. there was um another another child who created this house with trees all around the garden and hidden within the garden there was a football pitch and you know the, and again the writing that came from it afterwards and i think it was really important from the very beginning that this was a literacy based project so reading, writing and oracy were going to be the main skills they develop. But I found that Minecraft really unlocked the doors and got their inspiration and gave them something to write about, actually, and you know, really worked well. Yeah. And what about the, just the, the last one that I wanted to pick out here? is something you, you mentioned to me called the Digital Leader Minecraft Roadshow. Uh, that was, again, that was a, an idea that the, the pupils decided because they found that teachers, not, not, not pupils, teachers in schools were a little bit frightened of Minecraft possibly, so they decided to go out and train teachers in other schools as part of their um, as part of the work they were doing which astonished me so we just put it out there the first project we did we offered the Minecraft Roadshow the pupils will say it was a freebie to begin with um, now they've developed the idea where they develop different projects and, and in terms of developing uh, pupil leadership has been massive so they develop the projects they go out and the, the last meeting they had with the head teacher really made me smile because the conversation started with um, so for an hour um, we charge 50 15 pounds is that okay uh, but if you'd like us for the whole day which is probably more beneficial it would be 50 pound but you must pay your own transport and uh, you know i think getting children to realize these skills linked to minecraft getting them out into you know the pupils we've got in our school i went to that school myself and i know you know sometimes they don't see what goes on in the wider world so for me it's really important to set into that context yeah. And do you think, like, I can only speak from the perspective of having a daughter that age, <clears throat> do you think that it's helping to get girls into science, technology, education and, you know, engineering and stuff like that? Uh, or, or is it just something that goes across both genders and... I think that's the really unique thing about Minecraft is it is definitely a leveller. That, you know, the majority of our pupils use it at home and the ones that don't can see the context within school and I think now the really, um, the really brilliant thing actually is the fact that Minecraft Education Edition have brought uh, the code builder element to it so, so the pupils are able to develop the coding skills and embed them within Minecraft and see what they can create. And it really opens up a, a, another whole new element to the whole process. Really. Have you seen it improve any of the other skills? I mean, have you seen in this year an improvement in something that tangibly could be connected? Definitely. In terms of Oracy, our year six pupils who are leaving us now, I think there's we've had the highest um, number of level fives for Oracy. And the children are far more confident. It does give me goosebumps when people come in and speak to the children and, and they say how incredibly articulate they are. And I think it's because they've had the opportunity that Minecraft has. And the reason they're able to do that is, as I said earlier, Minecraft is a leveller. When they go in and, and work with other pupils using Minecraft, you know, they, the, their job is done. What, what they create afterwards is, is, you know, is great. And a real hook, I would say, to get them into the learning. And before we before we wrap up here, I was curious for you know for anyone with children listening, you know, what's the best way to you know maybe to inspire them to, to want to study computer science? And is Minecraft a is that a good catalyst for you know building that intrigue? 
Definitely. I'd say, first thing I'd say, and the thing that I've had from my students is, um, my parents don't talk to me about it. So I think talking to your, your children is a really important thing. And I would also say talking to the schools as well about it, because I think it's a really important um, thing that, as I say, our, we tried it as, we did it as a trial project initially. We've never really looked back, and you know, we've we invite our parents in to see the children's work. I think that's really important. But then we really actively encourage our people to go home and speak to their parents about the type of things and you know the wow that it can sort of bring to parents. But I'd say talk to your children about what they're doing, um, and definitely talk to school, talk to their school to see if there's any way that you know they could be using Minecraft within mm. the curriculum. Well, this has been a fascinating and insightful conversation. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, please look him up online. Reach out to him uh, with Minecraft education queries. You will not be let down, as I'm sure this evening has proved. Uh, And give a big round of applause and thanks to him for journeying here all the way from Darren Park Primary School in Wales. James Prothero. We are in the final stages, uh, <laughs> ladies throws, and gents. If you will, sorry, throws. Oh, yeah, it implies possibly. a you know a, an ailing body of some kind. Along, along those lines, yes. Uh, but we have a couple of sections left, and this is uh, we're going to start with a with a fun one. Um, now, during the writing of this episode, I titled this particular section "Improve the Thing." Uh, I see no reason now we're on stage, and the title is still on the script uh, to change that. Does right. anyone have any objections? <laughs> so, uh, yes, quite right. Um, and uh, so uh, we're going to see how technology could be used to improve the following not-at-all-tech things. Indeed, yeah. We're going to start with one that I know Luke and I have a shared pet peeve with, <laughs> uh, the umbrella. Uh, they've, they're awful. They've remained pretty much uninnovated since their invention, knocking on 2,000 years ago, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> might be a bit of an exaggeration there, but uh, Luke... Since we are kindred spirits on this topic, what's wrong, do you think, with umbrellas? Well, well, the first mistake you made there, Nate, was describing the umbrella as an innovation in the first place. (laughs) It's not that it hasn't been innovated upon, it's that it was always a bad idea. And... (laughs) The, but it keeps my hair erect. How could it be a bad thing? <laughs> Ian, no one knows what keeps your hair erect. <laughs> it's one of two things. The, the, the problem I have with umbrellas is a very simple one, is that when, when you use one, I tend to get more rain on me than when I don't use one. Because it doesn't shield you from the rain. How are you holding it? it? Yeah, I'm wondering if you're maybe... <laughs> I, ho- I hold it the way it says on the label, but it, it focuses a, normal, a normally harmless amount of sort of nice British rain mist into these concentrated rivulets of water that, that kind of fan out fr- from the top and pour all down you. And, like, yeah, it might keep some off your sort of hair and shoulders. And, and Ian, I appreciate it How as much big as is you. your umbrella, is it like that big <laughs> or something? Right, okay, so size... Here we go. Size is another factor. Okay, so not only are your shoes getting all, all wet, basically, whenever you use an umbrella, because it's just pouring water down onto your shoes and you're splashing them, and that, those shoes are the worst thing to get wet. Yeah, true. So I would rather have, I'd rather be slightly damp all over than have water in my shoes, and I think everyone here would, un- would agree with me 100%, and I'm not going to check, I'm so sure. And it, it works the other way right. as well, because if you have a massive umbrella, then you're that guy on yeah. the footpath. Right! Everyone's it, they, trying to get past, and, you know... They, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Umbrellas are fundamentally so rude. If you have a big one, then yes, you're more protected. But I would also ask you to consider how when you're carrying a large umbrella, that's just a massive thing that you have also, all day. If you have sometimes a wet thing. If you have a huge umbrella, you have to use you have to hold it with two hands. Yes. Because the, and, and that means that you've got no hands free to do anything else. So, you know, in this in this modern day and age where we like to be walking along with one with our phone in one hand and umbrella maybe in the other um then you can't do that well this is an unplanned tangent then that's wonderfully well placed because i did see one small bit that would categorize under brolivation for want of a better portmanteau uh, which is um it was sort of an umbrella that had an iphone stand connected to the handle yeah. so you could hold up the brolly and as you were shielding yourself from the british weather you could be watching something on your phone. Just do what a normal person does and not use the umbrella at all and use your phone and then when the screen gets too wet to use, go like this. It's <laughs> on your wet simple. clothes. It, so so let, me yeah. ask this, let me ask this then, before we move on to another, another example here. How could tech improve the umbrella? Because well, that is what well, we want to solve tonight. We talked about James Dyson with his jets of air. Surely I can just see a stick and it's just got air jets that just go... And I so swear, I, I swear, I saw that. someone I do that. Yeah, someone's that. tried that. Well, it didn't take It didn't take great ideas. <laughs> I am so, like, point I from the so audience. I want to hear it. They're all being done. Point in the audience. Drone umbrella, yeah? Drone umbrella. Drone umbrella. Both hands free. It's perfect. Yes. Now this, we have solved it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we have solved item one here. The ah. way to fix, no, I'm done. The way to fix umbrellas is for James Dyson to invent a drone umbrella. That's Except instead of getting people's e- umbrella ends in your eye, people are going to be having like drones dive at their head. Fine by me. What about <laughs> what about a vast network of? So you don't have like one personal drone that's like a few feet above your head blocking the rain. What if there were thousands of drones forming a sort of n- nexus cobweb over all of London? <laughs> you mean like, like so the, no rain could get through? You know the roof you could they put over Wimbledon. Yeah, you could Wimbled- have one the size of the country. Drones and don't. on a rainy yeah, day, that won't destroy farming. No, 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 no. Or the world. <laughs> well, look, look, look. If water, if water falls on London, it's I assume just a waste. If we could get the dro- <laughs> if we could get the drones to 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 focus that into the into the concentrated rivulets that I was mentioning earlier. You remember <laughs> the concentrated rivulets or CRs for short, if you prefer. <laughs> It could focus them into farms and rivers Obviously and and growing economies. <laughs> okay. yeah. Farming needs you, Luke Westerweather. Well, <laughs> yeah. Before we get a taxi. That. Well, that was wonderful. Um, I'm gonna. You did. You used the word waste, which is appropriate because we are a wasteful society. Uh, tech is helping enormously, I think, and largely as tech companies uh, get better at making recyclable products and have programs for recycling such products. But I also know, because he told me the other night when I was at his house, that Andy has a particular fascination <laughs> with how the web and apps are specifically assisting with waste management. Andy? Yeah, no, I do. But a service I found, it's, it's part of like the FreeCycle community, because we've already got the website FreeCycle.org, I guess. Uh, and where you can, and that wasn't derogatory. That's just I think that's what it is. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a service called Olio. It's an app, and and you allows you to go on and and, and list 
uh, like products that you have you want to give away for free. So obviously it's you know you've got like a, a, a bed or a mattress or a bookcase or something. Well, I know you have much need. better examples. Well, exactly. This. But but I sort of had a look and uh, I did find. I'm just going to have a look live demo screenshots. Uh, screenshots. Where are screenshots? Where well, are you find screenshots. This is not the first example of such a service, as far as I'm aware. But it is one of the most intriguing because of the sort of. Well, the very specific nature well, of what people I trying just, to give away. Some of the things that I found, uh, for example, dog nappies. <laughs> opened but not used, uh, which is good to know. And well, then, that's so like someone opened them and was like, not for my dog. Yeah, <laughs> not for my... He deserves the best. Uh, latterly, then, adult nappies can be used for dogs to wee on if your dog lives in a flat. Uh, this one just says, pin. <laughs> pin. <laughs> uh, mystery cable. Uh, and closer inspects on the photo. Ooh. It is a Scott lead. Yeah. So, someone was born after millennials. Nineties. I've never felt so old in my life as when I yep. saw that. It's unbelievable. And me. A cable that was fresh oh, toast. Not <laughs> not French. Fresh toast. How Rescued fresh can it be? Rescued from a cafe in Stoke Newington. Well, this was listed about uh, three weeks ago. It's probably not all that fresh right <laughs> no. now. Better off making your own toast, I reckon. Uh, teeth sculpture. Uh, badge. Brackets. Clear. Uh, two ripe and ready avocados, but the picture has three. So I would question <laughs> where the extra one. But don't they uh, often have them, you know, two, three shown, I've eaten one, or something didn't like that? Didn't say... Uh, best before 3rd of May. What are we on now? They're way past yeah. there. Can you go around and squeeze Hope them? Hope to find them a new home soon. I have a suggestion. It's the, the, you know, the avocado equivalent of going around and kicking the tires of a car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah squeeze yeah. it now, don't yeah. we? Uh, sandwich, brackets, salmon and cucumber. <laughs> so that's, that's fine. Used brass door number three. Could do with a cleanup. <laughs> courgette. <laughs> Use ASAP. Uh, and then 22 empty cans. This one, finally, uh, mango chutney used one dollop. That was it. <laughs> photo forthcoming. And so instead, they just put a, a photo of their thumbs up. <laughs> This is the way the web is helping us. This I've got to say, is it though? If you've yes. ever been on Facebook and gone to the marketplace there, there's some quality stuff. Was that like the same thing? Oh, like a free I mean, cycle? It's not quite as. It's not quite specifically sort of food-based as that. Yeah. There are some weird things. I don't want to things. say bad, because I actually... I think what Olio is doing, what the Free Stackers Life is doing, is a really, really great service. I think the waste that we have, you know, it's obviously far too much. We know that. And any service like that that connects local people to, well, you know, I happen to need a new bookcase, and this person's giving one away, great. That's fantastic. It's just the specific items that some of these people, in particular, like the fresh produce, that really, if you don't get it within the half hour... It's not going to be very nice. <laughs> the thing that's bizarre about it, though, is the fact that it, 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 you have to go onto the app and manually list, like, well, I've got this courgette hanging around. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do with that? And, like, I imagine it takes about as long as putting something on eBay, which is ages and ages. <laughs> so, but, what, but imagine if your fridge could automatically, like, inventory what you've got and then be like, FYI, I'm Andy's fridge and he's got some courgettes going. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to do it that seductively. <laughs> but it would be good if it did. It would be good if it did. Yeah, um, and yeah, and it would be nice if it was automated. Then that could be a really useful thing. And then, but my, you come my home fridge, from work, and all your food would be gone. We're thinking, yeah. oh, he's not going to eat that. Trust the fridge. Yeah. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. But it would be. It would. And it's got some, some prime it, rib beef. Some of it. <laughs> he would, bought it on Sunday. Can't have been fridge, saving it for a special occasion. Some of it would be gone, but I'd have extra food there because my fridge would be talking to the other fridge, and Andy's fridge would be like, Andy's got courgettes going, and mine would be like, interesting. Luke hasn't eaten all his beans, <laughs> and so they would. <laughs> 
they would dispatch drones from the ice tray. <laughs> Are those the same drones holding sure like the umbrellas? Oh, it would have to be. <laughs> I think if you automated it, it would be good, is the point I'm trying to make. Very, very... Hands off my courgettes, Westaway. We have to stop, because I'm laughing too much. And we run out of time. And we run out of time for that particular section. (laughs) Goodness me. I wasn't expecting all of that, but thank you. That is amazing. We have have definitely come up with the ways to improve those things that we just discussed. Uh, (laughs) Did we, or did I just make fun of a well-meaning service? (laughs) Somebody will be listening to this. Enough people listen to the show for somebody to say, having that. We'll get an email. So. We'll get an email. Someone will have taken Someone... that chutney by, by next week. Uh, yeah. well, let's keep around. Minus, minus, please don't minus let me one down dollars. Now, before we wrap up and have our closing final thoughts, um, one thing I wanted to do at the end of the show is just celebrate some of the bad product names over the years that we have seen, largely because they amuse me and it's a good way to finish a show. Has anyone got an incredibly bad tech product name that they'd like to share? Oh, I have one. Katie. Um, so this is, uh, this is funny... Uh, you'll see why. Um, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> you'll hear why. It's a it's a product called the eye muffs, which. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wasn't the first one to laugh at that. <laughs> eye muffs, probably not for the eyes. Well, they're not for the eyes, which is uh, very strange considering they're called eye muffs. I mean, we've got ear muffs. You would think the eye muffs would do the same, but for your yeah. uh, peepers, but you'd, apparently you'd, they do not. You'd crash into something, wouldn't what? you? But just headphones. What are they? But just headphones. Either. Oh right, Head- standard but, headphones. Yeah, no one, headphones. Yeah. But why have they got an eye in them? Is it, a, is it an eye? Oh, because you know, it was like it was, yeah, it was like that, that age where first of all everything was e e cafe right, yeah. e, and then it was e mailer. Oh no, that's and then and then Apple started suing people, so they had to start with the eye. Right. <laughs> uh, a favourite of mine is the Digicent Eye Smell, uh, which <laughs> apparently was a personal scent synthesizer. Uh, there was a prototype that connected to PCs via USB and was designed to emit a smell. When a user visited a website or opened an email, what? <laughs> Which websites? Well, exactly. What would CNET smell of? One wonders. Lavender, <laughs> roses, and happiness. What do you imagine Facebook would smell of? Oh, just disappointment and <laughs> yeah. sadness. Just like the smell of someone who smells. hasn't showered for a while, a just followed you for a long time down it, the street. It, Instagram would smell of everyone else's food. I've got to put a bad name vote in for the uh, for the sound George. Oh, the chestnut hill. The chestnut hill. Hill, sound George. <laughs> iPod Doc, I believe. It was, yeah, it was an iPod Doc, but the Sound George, of all the names. G. George, like the name. Like George. Like Curious George, but Sound George. No, 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 George. No, that would be Gorge, with a hard G. No, a George, as in the Sound George, you know, the man you really want taking care of your audio. G-E-O-R-G-E. George, the sound George. I really like the Chestnut Hill sound George because it, a lot of technology has a lot of X's and like I's and serial numbery sort of names that are very hard to keep track of. But Chestnut Hill sound George sounds like a place and a person. And I just think that's nice. It'd be good if the new iPhone was like the Holland Park Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you had such an insightful comment, do you have a favourite bad game name from the... the, the Throws of history. Hmm. Pick one. Hmm. Well, we were talking about what was the one we were talking about? Peter Molyneux making the one that was actually the name Goddess. Oh, Goddess. Yeah, I thought that was pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah. Anything with an acronym. Yeah. There's. Uh, oh, yeah. One of my favourites was Golf Magazine presents 36 Great Holes starring Fred Couples. <laughs> <laughs> uh, golf holes. 
Yeah, I assume yeah. so. Yeah, assume right. what you like. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a strong assumption to make, and I shouldn't. But <laughs> there was also the incredibly unfortunate touch dick D I C. <laughs> Which was a touch-enabled dictionary for the Nintendo DS. Oh, I mean, not only, a, not only a bad name, That's but an actually terrible idea. Yeah. Yes, it is. What do you need a touch idea? dictionary for? Because it was a touchscreen. The DS yeah. had a touchscreen. I understand so the concept, but what dictionary? Yeah, but why do you need? Yeah, they didn't put that on the box. <laughs> touch dick brackets dictionary. <laughs> I mean, I guess that was a product of its uh, Japanese heritage. Um, I believe I may be wrong. I actually believe it might have been South Korean, ah. but I think it was certainly. So it was a translation issue. Yeah, a bit lost in translation there. A little bit. The other one lost in translation, just before we wrap up. Uh, This was a Japanese game, but it was released over here. Uh, Tactics Ogre, let us cling together. (laughs) I think that's sweet. It is rather sweet, isn't it? Most video games are about the end of the world in some form, and what else can you do but cling together? (laughs) It was a fairly violent game, but the title inspired a hug. Uh, which is rather beautiful, and it's a lovely note for us to end on. <laughs> and do let na- la- Luke Westaway know if you'd like a, 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 an embrace of some kind. Yeah, I'll embrace literally anyone or anything. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the Westaway promise. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it done. There's, there's a rather intimidating bear behind us. It's got its arms out ready. I think he's ready for you, Luke. Would you say he's, he's trying crying to, out he, to you? He will bear arms. <laughs> uh, Sorry, let's, let's finish. If I go off script, bad things happen. This gives me pause. That joke was. <laughs> that was grisly. Quickly, quickly, end, end, end. <laughs> that joke was grisly. That is going to be a wrap for this special 100th episode of Text Message. We have truly learned a lot together this evening, together. Um, I said that twice. From ball barrows to the future of the umbrella. From fables lasting teachings about social etiquette to the road ahead for British media consumption. We've also been reminded that some of tomorrow's most inspiring entrepreneurs and tech enthusiasts are currently developing their skills not in central London universities, but in small Welsh primary schools. While Britain may not be at the forefront of every high-tech endeavour read about in the papers, our contribution has been consistent and memorable enough to form the basis of an hour-long nostalgic journey through its flavours... <laughs> and forms and we have no shortage of contributors to thank for that today and hopefully tomorrow and beyond Um, I want to thank our guests for helping make tonight possible please give a huge hand or indeed several hands to Vicky Turk Andy Hoyle Luke Westaway Katie Collins and from Darren Park Primary School James Cutlow And thank you, of course, to Tech Hub for hosting us here on the delightful Ropemaker Street. Who knows, maybe we'll get to host episode 200 somewhere along poultry. That would be great. Um, But most of all, of course, thank you. Uh, Those of you in the audience here tonight and those listening for 100 episodes at home over the last three years. And, of course, to our fantastic patrons. Uh, Without you, we would not have been encouraged to go much past episode two. And I will say, before we finish, I will say... I would like to personally thank Nate for doing such an amazing job with this. He's worked extremely hard, as he does with every single show. Thank you. It it literally wouldn't exist without him. He is a driving force. He's amazing. And he's the most motivated man I know. And I love him for it. Oh, sorry. That's not on him. No, I know. (laughs) Well... It's gone off script! Oh no! It's gone rogue! (laughs) Well, um, from me, uh, Nate Slankson. And me, Ian Morris. Thank you and good night! Bye bye.
Hope you enjoyed that, everybody. As I said at the start of the show, if you do want to watch this again uh, in video form, you can do. Go to live.techpodcast.uk. You can see the whole thing on YouTube. You can download a copy. It's really a lot of fun to see it live. Um, and also, I think before we wrap up, let's just check in quickly uh, with Tom Merritt from Daily Tech News Show just to see what we've been missing for the last few days in the global world of tech. Thanks, guys. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talked with Ashley Esqueda about Facebook's responsibilities as a publisher, talked with Patrick Beja about whether Europe is the new Silicon Valley, dug into Microsoft's new Game Pass feature for Xbox One, got an Egyptian's take on Egypt's new social media laws, and Andy Beach told us how he's making a game emulation machine with a Raspberry Pi. All that and more right this second. Second at dailytechnewsshow.com. Back to you. Thanks, Tom. And uh, see you guys next week for a regular episode. And don't forget, live.techpodcast.uk if you want to watch this week's episode in video form. See you in a week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.